0: seem to be able to settle everybody down a little bit. So thank you for coming back together. Happy New Year, guys. 2022. Oh boy. Anybody have uh, any New Year's resolutions they wanna share with all of us? Just call them out. No, I guess not. They're They're all private or nobody did them this year. I actually had one. It involved me getting up early this morning to exercise, but it was so cold. It didn't happen. No. You can't expect me to start a new habit when it's like 20 degrees outside. Because it was, it got down to like like 28 or something last night. Had to bring my plants in. It was intense. Okay, y'all. Um, if you would, turn in your Bibles, uh, 1 John, we're going to look at just a single verse. Chapter 2, verse 13. Like Brian's been mentioning to you, we didn't print a bulletin this week because we kind of had the office closed for this week between Christmas and New Year's, Um, but we're going to have it up here on the screen, Um, and I'm going to go ahead and ask you, if you would, to stand for the reading of God's Word. We're actually, we're going to be bouncing around the scripture a lot today, but this little bit of a verse is going to be sort of like the one that orients us with what we're thinking about. So it's 1 John 2.13, but as you notice, it's actually 2.13c, because we're just going to read the the last little bit of it. Um, If you would, follow along for the about three seconds it's going to take to read this. God's word says this. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask and pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. Father God, I know that that cannot be done without your grace and without your Holy Spirit in this place, enlivening my words, waking up all of our hearts, allowing us to hear your voice and these words of scripture. Please, God, do it. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen, thanks for standing. Go ahead and be seated. Okay, before um, I talk about this little bit that we read right here, I I wanted to give you a little bit of the backstory of how I got here this week. Um, I was anticipating doing something else for the sermon today. In fact, for quite a while now, I've been eyeing the beginning of the year as the chance that we would have as a church to revisit the prayer requests that we had for 2021. Uh, The goals, as we sometimes put it, which you know we had sheets on the back table for a long time reminding you of those things that we were praying for. We did a couple of sermons about that. Um, There were a lot of things that we were trusting God for, both in the congregation up in Paradise and down here in Chico. And I wanted to revisit those things and see what God has done, what ways that we can celebrate his answer to prayer, which he has answered some of those prayers in really awesome ways but then also evaluate some of the prayers that we prayed for that we didn't see happen in the way that we had asked God for and just to sort of wrestle with that. Um, but what I realized the beginning of this week is that I wanted a little bit more time to chew on that and to think about it before I was ready to, to preach it in the sermon. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna, we're gonna save that for next week. I'm gonna take a little bit of more time in that in preparation. Um, and for this week, well, you know, we're going to look at this little bit of verse in First John. And, and the reason why I landed here is because I decided if I wasn't going to do the kind of review of our prayer request, I really wanted to keep it simple coming into the new year. And what I wanted to do is just simply tell you, preach to you, preach to my own heart, actually, who our Heavenly Father is. This verse that we just read says, I write to you, children, because you know the Father. What do you know about your Heavenly Father? Who do you know Him to be? What do you believe about Him? That's kind of what I want to address in this sermon today. And there is a lot (laughs) we could say about who our Heavenly Father is. I mean... God is is gracious and wise and loving and powerful and sovereign. Even the, the, um, the assurance of grace that Brian read for us today out of Psalm 103 gave us very clear structure about who our God is. So there are so many things we could choose that would all be worthy and good. But I've chosen three things that I wanted to share with you. And there are three things that I've actually preached on before. Going back years and years ago, we, we did a, a sermon series one summer on adoption. That is the theological concept of adoption. We're adopted children of God. And in that series, we talked about who is the father that's adopted us. And the three things that I mentioned in that sermon, I, I realized this week, are three things that I want to revisit with new eyes with a new approach in 2022 and yet the same things I said back then I want to come to again today and that's this your heavenly father is generous your heavenly father is present and your heavenly father loves you more than you could ever imagine so with those three things in mind let's let's explore a little bit in the scriptures And let's see what they have to teach us about the character of our Father, and especially at those three different places. His generosity, his presence, and his love. So, Ephesians 3, first place that we're going to see this, and we're looking at generous first. Ephesians 3.20, this is a, a verse that I find myself quoting often, sometimes even unconsciously of it, because I love the wording of it so much. If you turn there in your Bibles or even up here on the screen, you'll see it. Uh, God's word says this in Ephesians 3. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Uh, This was one of the first verses that I ever memorized in the Bible. And the translation that I memorized in it, it, it used the wording immeasurably more. So forgive me if I'm talking about this today and I use that, that phrase immeasurably more. and You're like, where does that come from? It's, it's me uh, remembering the past. I don't know if it, it's been like that for you. If you memorize certain things or verses in a different translation, that kind of sticks with you, the first one. But immeasurably more, or as it has here in the ESV, far more abundantly, the point is the same. What you are hoping for, what you are praying for what the desire of your heart is, more likely than not, it is pitiful compared to what your heavenly father has in store for you. The blessings, the the, the, the things that God wants to just lavishly pour upon you are way more than what you've been asking for. I feel like I'm gonna get into prosperity preaching here if I'm not careful, but it really is the truth. It says it right here in the text that we just read that he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask. And not only that, he's able to do far more abundantly than what you think. Meaning that our limited minds are not even able to conceive sometimes of the things that God has prepared for his people. And you stretch your mind to think or imagine what would be the greatest scenario you could possibly conceive of. And God laughs and says, that ain't nothing compared to what I have in store for you. Now, it's one thing to be able to do this. It's another thing entirely to actually do it. And some of you guys that may have a critical eye, you might be noticing that the passage that we read says that God is able To give us far more abundantly than what we ask but it doesn't say that he actually is willing so it begs the question does god show his generosity like this to his people well we're coming right out of the christmas season so i thought we could think about what we celebrate as christmas to kind of answer that question for us so it's just uh, a little over a week ago we celebrated christmas And what we celebrated when we came together, you know, Christmas Eve or at Schaeffer Ranch in the barn singing carols, what we celebrated is that after generation after generation of waiting, God had finally fulfilled the promises he made to his people Israel to send them their Messiah. And yet, when he delivers on that promise, he does not do it in the way that Many of them were asking for. Many of them were conceiving of. They were thinking that the Messiah to come was going to be some, some uh, godly, charismatic leader. A, a human being, fully human, that would lead them back to the kingdom that they remembered from King David and Solomon. Compared to that, what God did is so far beyond And more abundant, to use the language of our text, than anything that they could have asked or thought of. Because what he did is send a Messiah that wasn't just a godly, charismatic leader. He sent Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. In that little baby born into the manger, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. God entered into our world. And in that moment, God shows us that he is able to do far more abundantly than all you could ask or think. He's not just able to do that, he is willing because he's done it in the past and he continues to do it time and time again. And so when we ask the question, who do we know our Heavenly Father to be, the answer is, Is that he is generous. He does more than all that we could even know to ask or think. The next attribute, if you go to the next slide, Marian, up on the screen, is that our God is present. We're going to use Psalm 56 uh, to help us see that. So if you flip in your Bible to the book of Psalms, towards the beginning of it, Psalm 56, verse 8 says this. You have kept count of my tossings and put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? This is such a curious passage. It's one that's always stuck out to me because of uh, just the images that come up. For instance, uh, when the ESV translates that word here, tossings, I know some of your translations have it a little bit differently, but this translation goes with tossings and it's evocative of when you are troubled. When something's on your mind and you can't sleep, you toss and turn in your bed over and over again. You fluff the pillow and move it around. You flip it to the other side. You try laying on your back. You try laying on your shoulder. You flip around, and you just, you just fidget anxiously, wishing for nothing more than you would just fall blissfully asleep. But instead, you toss and turn most of the night. And what this passage is saying is that your heavenly father keeps track of every one of those tossings. Why? It's kind of weird. Well, not really. Because what the psalmist is not trying to say is not that uh, the Lord is spying on you, but rather that the Lord knows. He sees he understands in the depth of your burden and loneliness and that time at night where you feel like no one in the world knows what you're suffering or going through, God does. He keeps count of every turn. It's the same thing that's going on with the very next line when it says, you put my tears in your bottle. That isn't some morbid thing where God's collecting our tears for some weird reason. It's the same as the tossings idea that there is not a single tear you have shed in your life that your heavenly father doesn't know about and remember. Not a single tear that he hasn't seen. Whether it be you tearing up at some dumb rom-com whether you're bawling your eyes out in the privacy of your own prayer closet, the Lord has seen every tear. Somebody came up to me after I preached in paradise today, and she was like, that's a huge bottle. (laughs) And I was like, my bottle's bigger, I bet. And yet God has kept track of every shed tear. The idea, like we said earlier with tossings, is that our Heavenly Father is present with us at the loneliest moments, the most anxious moments, the moments where our heart is burdened the most and we feel like no one in the world could understand or conceive of what I'm going through. Our Heavenly Father does. He sees you. I um, had a a friend last year... um, uh-oh! Somebody's trapped and trying to get in. Um, I had a friend last year that shared with me a story that, for a while, I've been I've been wanting to preach on, um, and never had the occasion. But today's the day. So uh, it was a story about a talk that my friend had heard from Pastor Tim Keller, uh, which is a name that'll be familiar to some of you guys, but maybe not all of you. Um, Tim Keller is a preacher uh, in New York City, a pastor. Um, he's also a prolific writer and a journalist. I mean, a lot of different things. And In fact, I mean, he's probably one of the most gifted communicators of the gospel we've seen in a long, long time. And yet, not everybody knows this, uh, Tim Keller got his start for, I think, over 10 years pastoring this teeny tiny small church in small town Virginia before he moved to plant the church in New York City. And apparently, not too long ago, the uh, the church that he had pastored at all those years ago was having some sort of celebration, like an anniversary, maybe, of, you know, the church had been in existence for 50 years, 100 years, something like that. And they invited Tim and his wife Kathy back um, to this celebration because they wanted to honor him as one of the pastors that had been part of their history. And so they had a gift for him, but also in the course of that, they were inviting Uh, church members to come up and share different memories they had of Tim and Kathy or different special things that that meant a lot to them that they wanted to share in that moment. And so uh, apparently Tim Keller was relaying all this, and and he said that as people were beginning to come up, he had an expectation of what they were going to say, or or maybe more accurately, he he had a hope of what they were going to say about him, which is like it for any preacher, what he was hoping that they would say, expecting, is, oh, pastor, I remember this sermon that you preached that changed my life, or uh, this, that book that you wrote, that was a question I always had, and it just totally transformed my thinking, or that day that we met for coffee and you, you gave me those wise words, and it just changed everything. That's what he was expecting and wanting. That is not what he received, but what he received might've been better because as people began to come up and share about what they remembered and what was special to them, over and over and over again, he heard things like this. What I remember about you pastor is when you showed up to the emergency room when my wife was in an accident and we sat in silence together at 1 a.m. What I remember about you, pastor, is when you just randomly dropped by my house and knocked on the door just to say hey, and that you had prayed for us that day. What I remember, pastor, is when you showed up with the deacons to, to, to pack boxes in preparation for the big move that I had across the country. Over and over, that's what the people said they remembered about it. And I mean, this guy, if you don't know him, a lot of you do already, but he's one of the most gifted, prolific communicators and preachers of the gospel we've ever seen. But that is not what his people cared about the most. What mattered to them the most is that he was their pastor that was present with them in the times that they felt most alone. I'm sharing that with you guys because I want you to realize that deep down as human beings, we might not realize it, but the reality is what, what we long for is just somebody to see us and know us and be with us in those times where we feel so isolated and so burdened and so afraid. And what the psalmist is saying with these three little lines is that your heavenly Father is present for you like that. There's not a single turn in your bed when you're anxious that he doesn't see and know about. There's not a single tear you've shed that Christ doesn't know and remember. So what do we know about our Heavenly Father? Who do we know him to be? We know him to be present. That is the one who sees my every tear and my every laugh. Excuse me, my every laugh. The one that sees my every joy and my every sorrow, and He's with me in it. He's generous and He's present. Which brings us to the last attribute of God that I wanted to share with you today. That is, He's loving. Uh, before we turn to the passage for this, though, I, I do want to introduce it a little bit because loving is—it's uh, it, woefully inadequate for what I want to say about the affection that our Heavenly Father has for us as His children. Loving, it's a great word, but it can just sort of roll off your back a little bit. So maybe the way that I'm going to help us think about it is I'm going to say, He embarrasses us with His love. your parents ever embarrass you with the way that they love you? I know not everybody can say yes to that, but maybe some of you guys can Leilani, does your mom and dad ever just embarrass you with hugs and kisses in front of your friends? Sometimes at school, yeah. Does your pastor ever embarrass you by just talking to you in the middle of a sermon? Yeah, probably. Well, I got a story for you, Leilani, about when I went to school in middle school. My mom used to come pick me up every day in her big gray conversion band. Conversion bands were really cool when I was eight. Not so cool when I was in eighth grade. (laughs) And some of you guys don't even know what conversion bands are. I'm talking about like the big old like spare tire on the back with the ladder that you can climb up. All the windows have blinds on them. I mean, it's basically like a living room on the road, you know. Man, I was embarrassed of that rig when I was in eighth grade. And I remember getting picked up by my mom. She would pull up my, my, my dog, which was a, a dachshund, would be riding front shotgun, Baron, the dachshund. And they'd pull up, and I would uh, quickly shuffle out to the car, hoping, please, no one see me. Please, no one see me. Please, no one see me. But my mom would roll down the window, and in that sweet southern drawl that you know she has baby jaw that that was my nickname how was your day baby i can't wait to hear about it i missed you so much and if i had made it to the conversion van without anybody seeing me they definitely saw me now she was announcing to the world she loved her baby (laughs) and that i remember that to this day because now i'm an old man and i can look back and say oh That is awesome that my parents loved me like that. And yet, I probably still remember it to this day, partly because it was mortifying (laughs) and embarrassing. And even talking about it right now, I feel some flush coming to my cheeks. Now, I I don't know if any of you guys experienced that embarrassing, mortifying love of a parent. In fact, some of you guys probably right now are thinking, man, I, I wish I'd experienced that. I'd give anything to have experienced that. If that's the case for you, let me share this. You do experience that love with your heavenly father. That same embarrassing, mortifying, make you blush love, your God loves you like that. I'm gonna prove it. Zephaniah 317. I've got to find Zephaniah in front of all of you guys right now. Let's See if I can do it. It's like only a single page in this tiny little Bible. It's easy. Ah, there she is. 7 I 3, 17. If you've ever been to a wedding that I've officiated, you're probably chuckling. You're like, oh, this is Josh's wedding verse right here. It's true. I read this one at almost every wedding that I do. And it says this. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Your heavenly father sings over you. He is so delightfully captivated by his children that when he sees them, he spontaneously bursts into song. How embarrassing. How wonderfully, beautifully, embarrassing. That's the kind of love that your heavenly father has for you. So, when John writes in 1 John, he says, I'm writing to you children because you know the father. Well, who do we know the father to be? We know him to be the kind of father that says I love you to his kids in front of all their friends. Or to use a Another mortifying memory from my childhood. He's the kind of father who drops you off at the movies but insists on putting the car in park so it can get out and walk around the back to give you a kiss on the forehead and say, have a good time, son. He's the kind of father that is so delightfully enraptured with his people that he just makes up a song on the spot. Because he loves them so much. That's your heavenly father. And coming into this new year, 2022, I thought that the simplest and yet maybe one of the most profound things that we could do is to just say that. That's your dad. You come into a new year, there's so much noise. There's so much distraction. There's so much unknown. Sometimes that's fear. Sometimes it's excitement. There's just a lot of noise. And I know that in your head, you get it. I have a heavenly father that loves me, that cares for me. And yet, I want you to hear it deeply. On January 2nd, 2022, as we enter into this new year, your heavenly father. Loves you, we're going to use language that we saw in Ephesians. He loves you in ways that are far more abundant than you can even think. Don't doubt that this year. Don't sweep it under the rug as something that's auxiliary. Make it be on the forefront of your mind as you walk forward. You're in good hands with your Heavenly Father. I just quoted the Allstate commercial. What am I doing? (laughs) I really should preach with more notes, right? (laughs) As we think about now ending our time together with taking the Lord's Supper, I'm going to add this to what we've been saying. All the attributes of God that we visited, his generosity, his presence and love. Do you know why we're able to say that? We're able to say that because Jesus, the Son, entered our world and died the death that we deserve as a penalty for sin and rose again to newness of life. My heavenly Father loves me in a way that is embarrassing and mortifying, singing over me as one of his children, and yet the truth is he does that not because of my inherent goodness. He does that because I stand firmly in the finished work of Jesus Christ and him alone. Somebody better say amen to that. And as we take this meal that Jesus gives us as his body and his blood given for us and shed for us, what we are doing is tasting and seeing The thing that allows us with confidence to say, My heavenly Father loves me, my heavenly Father is with me, my heavenly Father will give more generously than I can even conceive of. It's because of what the Son Jesus did. And I don't just get to preach that to you, you get to actually taste and see it and have the gospel of Jesus presented to all of your senses. In fact, Not to kind of mix up all my statements here, but as we taste and see the the bread and the juice here, we're also getting yet again another proof of how generous our God is. Romans 8, I believe it's 31, says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You want to talk about the generosity of your father? Look no further than him giving the most precious thing of all. How will he not also give you everything you need? So if you're a believer in Jesus tonight, I invite you to join me and the rest of this body in taking this meal, this community meal together where we celebrate the death of Jesus that allows us with confidence to say, my heavenly father loves me. He's present. He's generous. On the night.